0: What I wanted to talk about is in terms of new directions and and where you're going in life and where you find yourself in a completely new place or a new landscape um, because your life has now changed and you're going through all the pain, all the loss, everything that's happening in your lives. What is the new direction? Where do you go from here? Now, I can tell you 30-some years later that I can look back on my divorce. The effect, to back up a little bit, is it started out as a recovery ministry. And when I first got, started working in substance abuse and recovery, I remember the first time I went to an AA meeting, and I don't have a substance abuse background myself, and I'm listening to them talk, and I heard an old-timer say that he was grateful to be an alcoholic. And that just blew my mind. It's like, how in the world would you be grateful for something like that? You know, 15, 17 years later, working in the field, I understand. I can look back at my divorce and say, I'm grateful for the divorce. Not that I'd ever wish it on my worst enemy. Not that I'd ever want to go through it again. But it was the sufficient stripping down. It was the fish, it's a sufficient amount of pain to actually motivate me to move in a new direction. And, and so this is what I wanted to talk about tonight. There's a shape to our journey. We don't get all of these street signs, but we get the overall shape. And that's critical. If we know what the shape of the journey is, it can make sense of the pain. It can make sense of all the things that we need to go through. And so this is the important thing. If we can get that overall shape, we've got something going on. Let's back up a little bit, though. Have you thought about why you're here? Not why you're here in this room, but why are you here as a human being? What, what, what are we here to do? What are we here for? What, what's this all about in, in the largest sense? Because if we're talking about new directions, we're talking about needing to go someplace. Where is it that you want to be? What is it you think you're here to do? Now, some of you are, are maybe anxious or wanting to get into new relationships. You, know, you want to have that other person eventually again in your life. I heard something long time ago that I thought was completely false at the time, and now I realize it's absolutely true, is that you'll never attract someone who's healthier than you are. Just think about that for a second. Yeah, see? That's the same reaction I had. You'll never attract someone who's healthier than you are. Because think about it. You can see someone who's less healthier than you and you can run screaming from the room knowing that you can't have a possibility there. And those healthier than you are doing the same thing. There's a self-leveling process that happens. You know, we all seek the same level. And it doesn't seem like it's true because you see usually the saintly woman with the Neanderthal guy. What's going on there? Well, usually it's some sort of codependence or something going on. You know, that doesn't mean we stay the same. We can move at different rates once we're together. So, If you really want to have another relationship, then your job right now, your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to become the healthiest person that you can be so that you can attract a person that can have the kind of relationship that you really want. All right? That being said, as we're looking at these directions, where is it that we want to be? What's the overall purpose? What are we here for? Any ideas? Any thoughts on that? Why are we here? To help each other? other? Yeah? Does that sound good? Anything else? All right. Let me tell you what Brene Brown says. You all know who Brene Brown is? She's excellent. She's, she's a, if you don't know who she is, she's a social worker, researcher. Um, she spent 10 years going through interviews and talking to people, trying to find out what in the world is going on within human relationships. And, um, it put her on her own journey. She had to pull back out of the research and take some time off because it challenged everything that she said she thought she knew about why she was doing the work that she was doing. What she came up to and finally understood was that what we're here for and what we're all about is connection. And that's completely in line with New Testament. It's really completely in line with every sort of philosophical and, and theological faith tradition that's responsible on the planet we're here to connect. We're here to learn how to connect. That's why we're here. Biologically, it's how we're wired, she said. It's why we're here. And so if it's all about connection, why is it so many of us are having problems with connection? What's, what's the hiccup here? What's, what's the big block to connection? And what she said that she found out through her research that it turned out to be shame. But she defines shame as the fear of disconnection. All right, so think about that definition for a while. It's the fear of disconnection that keeps us from connecting. So she took a look at the two groups. Those who had a good connection and a sense of belonging, who seemed to do well in their families and in their groups, and those who didn't. You know What was the difference between them? It was this shame. Okay. Then she took a look at those who had that group that had that sense of belonging and connection. Okay, What's common about them? What she found out with them was that They had the courage to be imperfect. They thought that what made them vulnerable made them beautiful. Think about that for a second. They realized that they didn't have to be perfect in order to be. In other words, the people who had a sense of belonging and connection believed that they were already worthy of belonging and connection. That's it. That was the difference. So on one side of the ledger, you have those who are afraid of disconnection fearing disconnection, thinking there's something that they need to do. They're not pretty enough. They're not smart enough. They're not rich enough. They're not X enough, whatever it happens to be, and those who already believe that they're worthy of connection. How do we break through? How do we get from one side to the other? It almost seems like a catch-22, doesn't it? You have to believe that you're worthy of connection in order to connect and And if you're not connected, I mean how do you how do you what's the what's the way through that? What's the what's the kind of She said that they had the courage to be imperfect. I want you to, for a second, think about your best friend. Someone that you're closest to. It could be a family member, it can be a friend, anybody. Got someone in mind? Okay. Is that person perfect? Far from it, right? And yet isn't the The eccentricities, the weird things that they do, the imperfections, the thing that you love most about them, that you talk most about, that endear them to you. Think of someone that you think is perfect, someone that you really think has it all together. How close are you to that person? Probably not very, you know? It's someone that's maybe on the news. It's someone that you know from church. But they're up on a pedestal up here and you don't, you're not close because if you were close to them, you'd find out that they weren't perfect. All right? So here's the irony. Those of us who are dealing with shame, those of us who are having trouble with connection, those of us who think that we're not good enough, spend our entire lives trying to erase the imperfections by wearing the mask, by putting on the shield, by doing all the things that we do because if someone finds out the real me, they're, they're not going to like me. They're going to run from me. We spend all our time trying to erase the very thing that really endears us most to each other, makes us the most accessible to each other. Connection is what it's all about. Connection is what we're going for. But if we're going to connect, then we have to drop our shields. Do we have any Star Trek fans in here? <laughs> any Star Trek fans? God, so few you know? you know about the transporter where you transport someone from one place to another, right? Okay, if you're going to transport from one ship to another, what's the first thing that the ship has to do that's receiving the transport? They hey, got to drop their shields, right? You cannot transport over if the shields are up. Now, here's the thing. If you're in a battle situation, then you've got to time this just right because as soon as you drop your shields, you're vulnerable to attack. So you time it, drop, transport, put shields back up again. This is the way we live our lives. We've got our shields up. We're afraid. We are afraid of disconnection. We got our shields up and we wonder why we're not connecting. But I got to keep my shield up because if people really knew me, then I wouldn't. You see what's going on here? We have this, 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 this cycle thing that's going on. If we're going to connect, we have to learn to be vulnerable again. We have to be willing to be imperfect. We have to see that it's a courageous act, really, to let people see who we are, to drop the shields, and allow ourselves the, even the possibility of being connected again. So what it really comes down to is, do you remember when you were eight years old? Can you remember that far back, eight years old? Or maybe those of you who, who either work with children or have children, or, you know, watch children at play. Remember you at that age playing the way that they do. Completely unself-conscious, you know, they don't know that anybody's thinking any of them. They're running around. The little girls get on the monkey bars and they lean over and their dress is flopped over their heads. They don't care. You know, It's a complete freedom to be exactly who they are. Now, through their childhood, they learn. There are things that are expected of them. They learn to put their shields up. As children, we all have to go through the woundings that are going to cause us to put programs in place. Programs for survival, programs for happiness, programs to get the things that we want and the things that we need. And the more traumatic our childhood experience, the more elaborate those programs need to be. And the more that they're driven deep into our psyche. But here's the thing about programs that you need as a child to put in place. The environment changes, the circumstances change but the programming doesn't. It stays in place. And so we have ourselves walking around at 30, 40, 50, 60 with programming in place that happened in childhood that has never changed. We still have our shields up. We're still trying to present to the world a face that we think is going to allow us to connect. But it is the very instrument that keeps us separate in all our relationships. I don't know if I've convinced you or if Brene has convinced you that connection is why we're here. But if you think about your peak moments, if you think about the happiest times in your life, moments or periods in your life, I guarantee you that they will include connection of some sort. It could be connection with nature. It could be connection with environment. It could be connection with your puppy. It doesn't really matter. But you drop your shields. What happens when you fall in love? You've thought about that before? When you fall in love, it's the greatest feeling in the world, isn't it? We want to bottle it and put it on the shelf and be able to take it out whenever we want. And I suppose that's exactly what heroin addicts are doing. You know, you put a brain on heroin under an EKG, it looks exactly the same as a brain in love. It's the same centers that are lighting up. That's why it's so addictive. That's why it feels the way it feels. We want that feeling, don't we? What happens when you actually fall in love? What happens is... All of your barriers go down. Every single shield, every artifice, every mask, it's gone. Between you and the beloved is complete and utter connection. Now, it may not be going back in the other direction. It doesn't matter. You have dropped your shields completely. You no longer even know emotionally where you end and the other begins. You are connected. And it feels so good to be so connected. Connection is why we're here as human beings. That's what we're after. All right? Who you were at eight is still in there. If you're having trouble connecting, it's not that that person, that child is gone. That child has been covered over with all the programs and everything that you have layered up over time that you thought you needed in order to be able to connect. So now your journey from here out, if you really want to take a new direction, if you really want to move in new directions emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually, then it's going to be a journey of subtraction rather than addition. We are so wired to think that if we need to go out and move in a new direction or get something, that it's about acquisition, it's about acquiring things. It's about going out and grabbing something and bringing it in, as if I am, I am empty, I am less than, I am needing something, and I have to go out and find it, wherever that is, bring it in and then make myself whole again. Truth of the matter is, it's the exact opposite. Y'all know Michelangelo, right? The famous sculptor. Okay, so there's a story about Michelangelo. I have no idea if it's true. I hope it is. But it, it should be if it's not. Anyway, the idea is, is that when he was commissioned for a new sculpture and he'd get the big block of marble or whatever it is that he was going to carve, he could walk around and study that block and, and envision completely the sculpture that he was going to sculpt standing inside the block of stone as if it were frozen in a block of ice. And when he had gone and he had seen it to the last vein and muscle and hair and tissue, then he said the only thing that was left to do is remove everything that's not the horse, everything that's not the person, everything that's not the sculpture, because it was already there, completely formed in his mind. So here's the thing. Each one of you has this person that you were originally created to be standing inside of you as if frozen in a block of ice. So your journey, your new direction is just about removing everything that's not that eight-year-old free person inside of you. It's a journey of subtraction. If we had the time, we'd talk about contemplative you know, life and contemplative prayer and so on and so forth because that's part of the practice but that's really not so much what i want to get at right now how do we do this how do we begin this journey of subtraction where do we go with this and how does it relate to the pain that you're going through as part of the divorce process or any loss that you're going through in life this is this is really the key the important thing to realize is that you're not going to be able to think your way through it You can't think your way through it. Why can't you think your way through it? Because your brain is the problem. (laughs) It's not going to be part of the solution anymore. right? Your brain has literally been rewired. Your synapses have formed around the ingrained patterns, obsessive-compulsive patterns, these programs for happiness, these programs for, for survival and everything. So you're not going to be able to use that instrument to get you where you want to go. It was repeated action, that created the programming that is now unique to you, that has become part of your shield and your defense process. And it's only going to be repeated action that's going to take that back down again. There are two things that we have at our disposal that will be able to unravel this elaborate system of defense that we have built around each one of us. That's awareness and opposite or contrary action. Have you heard of opposite action or contrary action? It's a, it's a bedrock concept in recovery. All right? Opposite action is you're triggered. And the car cuts you off on the freeway and your immediate knee-jerk response is to go up there and flip them off. That's what you're going to do. And, you know, you're going to scream at them and you're going to be angry. That's, that's, that's your knee-jerk reaction. If, and Viktor Frankl was brilliant at this, he said between the stimulus and the response there's a space. And that space is all the space that we need to be able to actually grow. Trouble is, with most of us, there's no space between the stimulus and response. There's no breath, there's no thought, there's no awareness. And so we are stimulated, something hits us, we are angry, and then we react. And we react in typical ways, whatever it happens to be for us. Some of us get angry and get belligerent, others crawl inside ourselves. It doesn't matter. It's it's all stimulus and response. What we want to do is to build up enough awareness that we open up that space between the stimulus and response so that we can choose to do something different. Car cuts you off on the freeway. You have the re- initial reaction, what you're going to do, and you stop, and you decide to pray for that person. Oh, wouldn't that be great? You know, maybe you're still gripping the wheel a little tight, but you at least you stop, and you, and you or you, you give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, they really need to get where they're going. I'm going to let them be. You know, opposite reaction. Typically, what, however, we're triggered negatively, whatever we are triggered to do physically. We need to turn around and 180 degrees go in the other direction. If you're depressed, what do you want to do? You want to isolate. What's the opposite action? It's to go engage, to reconnect. It feels like you're carrying the weight of the world to be able to do that. It's the hardest thing to be able to do. But you can do it if you are aware in real time, in the moment, to be able to make a different choice. So that's what we're trying to do is make a different choice. And so here we got this this idea. We can't think our way through. We're going to have to act our way through. But we're going to have to do something that starts to open up some awareness. Part of that is just getting a sense again of the overall shape of the journey. Anybody have a little GPS lady on your dashboard? Okay. I've got the, the Siri phone thing. And so in fact I used it to get here. Marion and I we use Siri. And so she's giving us street by street directions. That kind of annoys me. And and I don't really like, even if she's got an Australian accent and it's cute and everything, you know, I don't like just being led around by the nose. So what I like to do is I first get it up and I look at the entire route. Does anybody else do this? Look at the whole route. Okay, so I know exactly where I'm going. So I knew the basic shape of the journey. And so I knew the direction I'm going. So then when she's giving me the street by street directions, you know, sometimes I'm second guessing her. Are you really sure that's right? But at any rate, at least, at least I've got an overall shape. And so that's the same thing that we want to do here. When you're in the midst of your journey, when you're in the midst of your pain, when you're in the midst of the disorientation and the disconnection that happens when relationships go and marriages go, and you have no idea what's happening here, is this pain all for nothing? Does it make any sense whatsoever? If you have an overall sense, an overall shape of the journey, it can can do so much to allow you to be able to continue to take those risky steps forward because it's following the basic contours of the journey. What are the basic contours of the journey? What does that look like? There are two, what would you call them, archetypes, I suppose, uh, that can really help us here. One is the rite of passage, and I know you've heard that phrase before, but do you know what a true rite of passage is? That's really the key, because we use rite of passage in a lot of of ways that have nothing to do with a classic rite of passage. In fact, unfortunately, in Western culture and and civilization in the modern era, we have no formal rites of passage anymore. We might call a child losing their, their first tooth a rite of passage, but it's not. A bar mitzvah or a debutante ball we call a rite of passage, but it's really not. A true rite of passage has three parts to it. The first is separation, the second is transition, and the third is reincorporation. I want to think about that for a second. The closest that I can come to is probably that I'm hoping that you are somewhat familiar with is the walkabout of the aborigines in Australia. Some of you may have heard about that. Okay, so, so what's the scenario? It's for boys, it's not for girls. The ancient wisdom was that boys need this a lot more than girls do. Girls have biological rites of passage that take them through life in a way that is much more organic. Uh, Males don't. And so it was always the young men that needed a rite of passage. And in this culture now, boy... Is that coming home in spades to us? The fact that we have no way to mark the transition from one phase of life to another. That's what a rite of passage does. It's marking this and ritualizing this transition so that the young boy or the young girl knows that they are playing different roles within the connections and the relationships that they have. So for the the aboriginal boys at the age of 12 or 13... They're taken by the men out of the company of women, out of the company of their peers, out of the villages and out into the bush. There there's some sort of, that's the separation, leaving the world that the child has known for the entire, you know, their life to that point, right? Taken out into the bush. There's some ceremonies there that usually involves cutting, some kind of, of, of painful, you know, ritual there. And then the boy is sent out into the bush alone. Now, up to the point that they're that they're getting to this rite of passage, they've been training their whole lives. They've been training how to survive in the bush, how to hunt, what's poisonous, what's not. Most importantly to the Aborigines, they've been learning what they call their song lines, which are, are chanting ritualized Uh, tales of their creator beings and their whole story and and how the land is connected to the people and the people connected to the land. It's through these song lines that these young boys, as they go out into the bush, are expected to be able to live on their own for up to six months, completely on on their own, navigating sometimes hundreds of kilometers of bush without any navigational instruments. But by rehearsing, singing the songs in the correct order, they can navigate because the songs contain the landmarks and the descriptions of the land that allow them to navigate. When the first white settlers came to Australia, they were absolutely astounded that the Aborigines could do this without any kind of navigational instrument. And so the boy has to prove himself both physically, that he can hunt, that he can stay alive. He also is having a spiritual experience because out there in the land by themselves to connect with their ancestors in that inward journey brings them back at the end of their walkabout, and the men will then take the boy and reincorporate him back into the village, back into the community. But it's not the boy who left. It's now the man who returns. And he is celebrated and recognized as such. He now has the full responsibility of the men of the tribe and has entered a new phase of his life. It's a beautiful thing. Where in our culture do we have that? You know, the closest that I can come up with is is military service. Think about military service. Separation. You leave everything that you know. Your hair is cut. Your civilian clothes are taken. Everything about you as an individual is gone. And you're put into a situation, very difficult, you know, transitional situation, where you're learning to be part of a team, part of a unit, to function without question the chain of command and so on and so forth. And then if you are actually deployed and you're sent into harm's way, that's a further transition. But what are we really terrible at with our military? It's reincorporation. We don't know how to bring them back home again. We don't know how to celebrate them. We don't know how to celebrate the differences in them. And, of course, many of them have been damaged, and we don't do that well. But at least you can see sort of the shape of it. Another rite of passage, which is a little on the negative side, is rehab, for substance abuse, recovery, you know, the addict, the alcoholic has to leave their their home, their place, move into a place of transition, and then hopefully reincorporate on the other side. (laughs) Nobody wants to own up that that's their phone, of course. What's another rite of passage, though? Based on what I've just told you, can you think of another rite of passage? Because all of you have been experiencing it, I guess. Divorce is a rite of passage, Think about it. Think about it in terms of those three. Separation, transition, and reincorporation. It has those. You are separated from your family and from everything that you know. The, the family that you knew, the world that you knew is gone. It's shattered. And you are now kicked out into this new place. You know, There was the bloodletting. There was the wounding. Now you're in transition. What maybe some of you have not done yet is to reincorporate. You're in the, sti- in, the, in the phase of transition. You're looking for the new directions. You're looking about, where do I go? This can give you an initial shape. But there's another one that I think that is based on the same shape, but can give us a little more detail, and that's the hero's journey. Have you, anyone familiar with the hero's journey? Okay, then you heard it here first. <laughs> there is a, there's a book by uh, Christopher Booker who posited that there are basically only seven plots that we tell ourselves over and over and over again. Seven stories, seven basic plot lines for all the movies and the books that have ever been written. Well, Joseph Campbell did one up on him. He said, really, there's just one. He called it the monomyth. If you're not familiar with Joseph Campbell, he's a famous anthropologist and and mythologist. He he, he became really famous in the 80s with uh, uh, Moyer's uh, Power of Myth series that he did on PBS. But he wrote a book in the 50s called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And this is where he, he uh, laid out this, this um, thesis that there is one story that we keep telling ourselves over and over and over again. Infinitely different details, but it's the same basic plot line. So whether it's Odysseus coming back from the Trojan War to Ithaca, whether it's Parsifal searching for the Holy Grail, whether it's Luke Skywalker you know, moving through the Star Wars universe, or whether it's Neo in the Matrix... It's all the same story. But my favorite one, I think, touches all the bases and most of us know is Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. It's a classic hero's journey. Now think it, y'all know Dorothy, right? Y'all know this basic story, y'all seen the movie. Okay, so here's the, here's the deal. Dorothy's in black and white Kansas and she's hating life. We don't know her backstory, but we know that she's been wounded. We know that she's not living with her parents. We don't know what happened to her parents or where they are. They're just gone. She's living with Auntie M and her uncle on a farm for which she is no earthly good. She serves no purpose. Everyone's just shooing her out of the way. Dorothy, just get out of the way so we can get our work done. And she is pining for something over the rainbow that is finally going to complete her and to fulfill her. So she's living in this place, but the angst, the pain is there and she wants to escape. Well, because of her dog and the other situation, she runs away from home, and she gets as far as Professor Marvel, who then talks her into going back, and, and because Auntie Em is in distress, and so she tries to go back, and then the Twister takes her to Oz. Now, here are the, the classic pieces of the, of the hero's journey are, are important. The hero always starts, or the heroine, always starts in their familiar world, the world that they understand, the one that they're comfortable with. And something kicks them out of it. It can be internal or it can be external. But something changes the chemistry so they're no longer able to continue on with life as it was. This is the call to the journey. There's always a call to the journey. Now you can accept the call and move into this new world. Or you can refuse the call. That's up to you. If you accept the call, as Dorothy initially did, then she tries to go back, and then she ends up being taken to Oz. When that door opens in Oz, and it's color, right? And now there's, everything has changed. There's munchkins, and there's witches, and there's, there's uh, all the strange creatures. And she is suddenly thrust into a world where all the rules are changed, and she has no idea what she's supposed to do. All she knows is that she needs to get back home. That's the way that she phrases it. But immediately, people start coming around to help her. Now, Professor Marvel was the first one, and then it's Glinda the Good Witch who then gives her the ruby slippers, which were originally silver, by the way. You know? But silver didn't show up well in Technicolor, so they changed them to ruby, just so you know. This is what happens in the hero's journey. As soon as the hero accepts the, the, the challenge, moves into this new world, and all these guides and helpers and teachers... Start to come, and they give the hero gifts that they need at the right time. You know, Jason and the Argonauts with the golden fleece. It's all you, you see these motifs over and over again. And so she has this help. Professor Marvel then comes back as the Doorman of Oz, and then the Cabbie, and then the Wizard himself, constantly helping along the way. The the Good Witch of course is there, and then a task is given, or a series of tasks is given to the, to the hero that have to be completed. She is given the task first of finding the wizard and then to get the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West and bring it back. So that's her task. Now along the way, she finds her traveling companions. But think about who, what that really is going on there. Even though they are shown artistically, literally, as external traveling companions. It's really, it's her own intelligence, it's her own compassion, it's her own fortitude that is being developed here as she moves through this journey. If she accepts the task, if she completes the task, then eventually she comes back home again. You you take this complete cycle, or you end up back where you started again. That famous line from uh, T.S. Eliot, After all our exploring, we come back to where we started and know the place for the first time. This is exactly what the hero's journey is about. It's taking this journey, coming back to where you started again, but you're not the same person anymore. Something has changed. Remember the last line that she says in the movie? Besides, there's no place like home. She says, next time I go looking for my heart's desire, I'm not going to look any further than my own backyard. Because if it's not there, then I never really lost it to begin with. This is exactly what we were talking about with Michelangelo's sculpture. You didn't lose anything. Who you are and who you need to be again. We've just simply forgotten who we were at the beginning. To remember again is to take a journey that will show us who we are. To remember who we were. That, that person is still here, never left. Right there in our own backyard. You know, what did Jesus say? That the, the kingdom is not out there someplace find by observation. But it's within, it's among, it's in the midst of, it's right here. These motifs are over and over through all of our wisdom literature. We need to start paying attention because what it's doing is giving us the shape of the journey. All of you are on a hero's journey right now. You're on a classic rite of passage. You know, not one that is ritualized and formalized in a positive way, but it's upon you, and what are you going to do? Are you going to answer the call and actually take the journey Or are you going to refuse the call? Because it's possible to refuse the call. The pain always is going to hit us. Every time you are hit with a pain, a trauma, a wounding of some sort, it's another call to another journey. The large journey is the one from birth to death, right? That's the big one. But within those is a constant stream of smaller journeys. And they can be small. Every time that you lose a job, any time that you start a new job... You know, you lose a loved one, you lose a marriage, you lose whatever it is that you lose. Some of them are are, are small and seemingly less consequential, and others are huge in your life. But everyone is calling you to enter a world that you didn't understand before, to leave a place that was familiar, comfortable, even complacent for a while, and calling you out into a new journey. But if you're too afraid to, to take that leap and you hold back, you have to expend more and more energy to keep your shields up, more and more energy to keep all of that stuff at bay. And what do we do? Well, some people use alcohol and drugs to be able to mask that. Other people use process addictions, overwork and gambling and buying and, and you know, relationship after relationship and sex and all of that. Whatever needs to happen in order to anesthetize and to just stay as much as you can in some unfamiliar ground, to try to lock it down, to stay where you are. But what that does is it puts you into this gray sort of half life, you know. Joseph Campbell talks about that 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 gray half existence that happens when we don't answer the call, when we're not working to the purpose that we have been put here on this earth to realize in some way, shape, or form. Think about. The pain that you've gone through. Think about all of the things in your life that have kicked you, that basically took the world you knew and turned it on its head, completely changed it. You know, maybe the most recent one being the divorce, or if you're going through the divorce right now, think about it. your landscape has completely changed, hasn't it? And what are you going to do? Are you going to accept the new landscape? Are you going to move into that? Because as soon as you do and you open yourself up to that, guess what happens? Guides and teachers and helpmates come. Now, they were always there. Have you ever heard when the student is ready, the teacher appears? You know, they're always there. You weren't ready to see them as such. You kept them at bay. But now, moving into this new world, realizing, you know, your eyes are now open, you're completely present and aware because something is changing. Now, suddenly, here comes all this help that you didn't see before. And it can take you through Think about the times in your life when you felt that life was meaningless, when it was gray, it just had no savor anymore. Those doldrums, those times of depression. That is the hallmark of the unanswered call. There was a call into a new place. It is always scary. It's always frightening. It always feels completely risky. It always is disorienting. It's what some call liminal space. You're on the threshold. You're leaving one world. You haven't fully entered the other. You're still in the doorway. And it's a really difficult place to be. But it's the only place to be if we're going to actually move from one phase of life to another, to continue to grow. Because the shape of the journey is this cycle, but not just one cycle. It's cycle after cycle after cycle. And they don't needly happen one after another. You know? They are staggered on top of each other. And sometimes you're doing multiple. It's literally like spinning the plates with the poles. You know, you've got multiple journeys going on as you move into this new place or they kind of merge into one thing. Life is not resolvable that way but if we are willing to move into that new space that's where all the growth happens and every time we take a circle and come back to where we started we're a little bit different we've got more understanding is able to come back and now be a helper to her community a helper to, on the farm she's not going to be a goofy uh, goof off anymore she's going to have so there's a spiral shape to this as we take these journeys as we continue to if we If we do that, that's up to us. You are the hero, the heroine. You are the star (laughs) of your own movie, of your own story. See? We got the soundtrack. You're the star. But most of us are acting like bit players in our own movie, in our own story. This This is what we have to see. If you can start to see it this way, think what that does to the sense of, of how you deal with the pain and the heartache and the disorientation you're feeling, that way, feeling right now. Suddenly there's a purpose to it. Suddenly there's a shape to it. Suddenly it's overcomable. And as you negotiate enough of these, it doesn't get easier. It shouldn't get easier. If you're not feeling the disorientation, then you haven't answered the call. It's as simple as that, right? All right? But what it does do is more and more you see the benefit on the other side. You understand that the pain is not for nothing. It's not meaningless. There's a saying in recovery that is we progress at the pace of pain. Have you heard that one before? We progress at the pace of pain. Stick that one on your fridge. Because it's absolutely true. There's always a wounding at the beginning of each hero's journey. There's always a wounding involved in every rite of passage. Why? Why does it have to be that way? Why can't it be ice cream? Why can't it be anything but that? Because pain is the only force strong enough to motivate us to move forward. We don't move when we're feeling good, we don't even move when we're neutral you know the inertia is too great an object at rest will stay at rest until there's enough pain to move it forward the pain is the motivator we think of pain as bad but it's like an indicator light on your dashboard it's telling you something's wrong something needs to be looked at you need to pay attention here because if you don't then worse things are going to happen right it's the same thing you know you put your hand on a hot stove the pain tells you to take it off before worse things happen. But what happens when it's interior pain, when it's emotional pain? We can't see exactly what's going on, but it's pointing us toward the fact that something is wrong. This is the shape of the journey. This is where we're going with this. If we can start to understand this, if we can start to see ourselves, you can actually map where you are. You can, you can look at your situation right now you can tell have I answered the call have I not answered the call did I answer the call and then run back again like a kid going out into the surf and then running back when the wave comes in because we can do that we do it all the time one of the fallacies that we sometimes think is that we can start a journey or we can flip into a new place in life and just stay there for the rest of our lives we think somehow there's a switch somewhere that we can throw that's just going to change life for the rest of our life and the fact is it just doesn't work that way It's all momentary. We choose each moment if we're going to be present to the moment, if we're going to move into that moment, if we are going to completely drop our shields and allow ourselves to be present, to be able to connect. And in those moments of connection, that's where we feel purpose and meaning because we're here to connect. We're not here for any other reason. We're here to connect, to learn how to love to learn how to let go of the small boundaries of ourselves and open up where we literally don't know where we end and the other begins, where we feel one with everyone, not broken down into little categories, but we feel that connection. And again, if you analyze those peak moments in your life, you will realize that was that kind of moment. For a lot of you women, when they put that baby on your chest and the whole universe boiled down to that Face that was that big nothing else existed right the pain that you just went through I don't know I'm not going to say that didn't exist because I haven't experienced it but that moment many women will describe that as a peak moment but it can be anything it can be a first kiss it can be just the punchline of a joke when you just throw your head back and you just laugh from your heels why do we like to laugh so much because when you're really laughing what are you thinking about Absolutely nothing. That's it. That's the beauty of it. When we get out of our heads, when we transcend that little small voice that is talking to us and we connect on, the, on a greater level, those are the moments where we feel meaning and we feel purpose. And guess what we're also doing? We're finding out who we really are. In the final analysis, this journey that we're talking about is a journey to identity. We're finding out who we really are. Because that voice that talks to you in your head is not who you are. And your roles and your accomplishments and your attributes, that's not who you are. Because anything that can be taken from you is not who you are. Why do we fear death so much? Because everything that we think it means to be ourselves as a human being is taken from us at that moment. Whatever we've accomplished, whatever roles we play, whatever attributes we have, it's all gone. And we have no idea what it means to exist without those things. And we fear that. But as you go through this journey, more and more present, more and more aware, you are learning something each cycle about identity. Not directly, because if you try to go for your identity directly, you're already stepping away from it. As soon as you name it, as soon as you say what it is, you've already stepped away from it. But as a byproduct of just living in connection, you're learning something about the true nature of life, the true nature of love, the true nature of this unity that's at the root of everything that is showing you who you are. You came from that unity and you're going to return to that unity and every moment you choose it, you can experience that unity. Yeah, Yeah, heaven is waiting for us, but we don't have to wait for heaven. It's right here. It's right now. If we choose it. So life becomes not this one thing, It's more like a string of pearls. Each moment you choose connection, each moment you choose to take this journey and and drop your shield and risk something, because every time you drop your shields, you're risking, right? Every time you fall in love, you're literally giving your heart to someone and saying, you can do whatever you want with this because I'm not in control anymore. That's a pearl on the string. You get enough pearls on the string and now you've got a necklace. It looks like something, but it's still... Moment by moment by moment. Are we going to have all our moments be a pearl? Of course not. 51%. That's all we need. 51%. More often than not, we're living on the light side instead of the dark side. You know, we've changed our address from the dark to the light. We'll still take trips over there, but we don't live there anymore. And it changes everything. It changes everything about our experience of life. Understanding the shape of the journey, starting to overlay it like a template on the details of your life can help you to navigate this thing. And what you'll find out is, is that you don't take this journey. You take the journey alone. You take the journey to find out you didn't have to take the journey, right? You know, It was all right here to begin with, but you had to take the journey to continue to strip away more and more of the stuff that's not you in that sculpture analogy we're talking about. And you'll find that we do this in conjunction with each other. It's the connection that takes us where we really need to go. <sighs> That's all I've got to present to you. That's enough, don't you think? Thank you so much for, for allowing me to come today. And It was wonderful. Yeah.